0: Welcome to The Morning Crew, a grief podcast hosted by three gals in their mid-twenties. Here, talking about grief is completely normal and a part of our everyday life. So grab a cup of coffee or a drink. Grief conversations can actually be that casual. So let's talk about it.
1: Welcome back. We're back. And today... If you hear one less voice, that's because Mads couldn't join us today. She's dealing with a pretty aggressive migraine. So we wish her well and want her to feel better for the next time that she's on.
0: Yes, Mads, we love you. Migraines are no joke. She was getting it under control and we did not want to bring her out of her like darkness meditative state <laughs> to like stare at a screen for an hour. So. We will miss her greatly today and can't wait to have her back on next time. Yes, for sure. Um, But
1: we did just want to do a couple of updates. I guess my update really is just... I went on a date and it was a. We love first a dating date. update. We love a dating <laughs>
0: update.
1: Yes. And it was a first date. And so he asked, like, oh, does your dad live in LA or around LA? It's so every time, like I've done this so many times, but every time it's still jarring a little bit of like, cause it's the using the present tense with my dad
0: is it's so weird for me. It's so foreign, right? Like, you never hear it. You're never using the present tense. And they say it so naturally and casually, completely not knowing how much of, like, a kind of weird dagger or shock it is for you.
1: And meanwhile, your anxiety is just rising every second that passes by that you have to, like, when you start talking about, like, parents or loved ones or whatever. And so you're just waiting for it to drop. And they're just, like, having... Just normal conversation and, like, trying to figure out, obviously, like, where your parent is at. Um, so, had – so then, like, obviously shared with him about that. And it was fine. Like, he was very respectful and nice. But I did want to call out that I think most of the time people say, like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And then kind of divert the subject as we always talk about, like, the awkwardness. Like, they don't want to address it. And we did, like, kind of tiptoe around it. But then he also asked, like, some follow-up questions about my dad, which I thought was, like, really nice. And I don't think that I have experienced much of that in my dating experience.
0: That is really nice. And I agree. People, you know, not maliciously, but they don't know. You're also kind of a stranger still at that point, so they really don't know what to say. But I think people who – are comfortable in more social situations or maybe he does have a grief experience himself that you don't know about yet, that he is a little more with it or he had a close friend who had one. Um, But I love that. And I know we've said before, because you gave me the advice that if the topic, especially on a first date gets kind of danced around, you will not say it unless like a directly asked and obviously saying, does your dad live in LA is direct enough that you couldn't skirt around it. So That already probably was a little bit of a jarring moment for you. Um, What kind of questions did he ask about your dad?
1: Well, like what he did when he was alive and what kind of law did he practice and stuff like that. So I just felt like like that was unintentionally on his end, um, like bringing his presence like into conversation or like... Um him – it felt like – I know this sounds maybe a little dramatic, but, like, him – he found a way to try to learn about my dad through the lens of when he was alive versus, like, just that I have a dead dad. Right.
0: Like, it wasn't, like, how did he die? What happened? Like, which can just be people's natural curiosity. And people do do that. And, I mean – in my opinion, a little nosy. I think the better path for anyone listening who is looking for the advice or like you're on the receiving end of that news from a coworker or a date is if you feel comfortable to ask about them, be like, oh yeah. Like if you're in the situation where you're clearly sitting down, having an intentional conversation with each other, like what is, what did he do? And like, what was he like? Like, I think that's so great without digging so deep where it like almost crosses a personal line. Like he floated at just the right spot and in a way that was, that's very mature and then it's like meaningful for you because you're anxious about it or you're anxious if they're going to be weird about it and it's very vulnerable for you. So for him to like meet you there is amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think that, um, It also allows me to take more ownership of, I guess, like – I don't want to say storyline, but of like my life and my experience. Like, for example, I feel like in the past I shy away from talking about him, but then when those things are being brought up and like – I now feel comfortable enough to say like, yeah, he was a pretty amazing person. And before it was like so uncomfortable to even speak those words out loud to a stranger. So I will say that I feel like I've seen myself grow a lot in that realm.
0: No, that's huge progress and that's not easy. And speaking in the past tense, yeah, like you said with this stranger when there is so much unknown, but I love that The more you've done it, the better you felt and honestly inspiring for me who's had a lot less practice doing it that like hopefully I can get there too because obviously being open about it, you're going to feel better at the end of the day instead of like I literally am to the point where I almost am diverting asking them almost any questions about parents because I don't want the questions to be like reverted back to me on a first date. I will say the later you go, that changes. But on a first date, like we talked about in the dating episode, it's a new person. Like it's just, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of mental gymnastics. You're already worried about all the other normal first date things. So I'm glad you felt comfortable talking about him. Great. Any updates on your end? Nothing particularly big coming to mind right now. um the only the only little thing I can say is that, like the nature of my job, spring training is a very stark passing of time. like it I almost sometimes feel in my mind it's more like New year's than New year's just because the nature of like a baseball season I'm on, and we're deep in starting to plan for spring training and, Just the passing of time, like another year, another spring training without my mom, like almost like another New Year's reminder type of a thing. You know, it would be like we would talk and text all the time when I was down there. And she'd be like worried about me because I'd be working so many hours back to back and get like so tired. And I remember, so now, yeah, last year, I obviously wouldn't have had her around and then another year passing. So that's been on my mind a little bit. And it is a really busy and exciting time from a work perspective. So it's like it muddies the whole experience, but just something coming up, one of those weird unexpected ones that doesn't fit into maybe like the average patterning or the average days on a normal calendar
1: it's always those it's just like a timing marker is what it feels like like this symbolizes something else and then that's why like it reminds me of her it's like these like secondary triggers almost in a sense of or you're like you're like this environmental like this environment a physical space or it's like a time of year, like all of those things, they're not tangible things that are triggers. They're just like the space that you're in or the time that you're experiencing, which is really interesting. But yeah, really interesting.
0: No, absolutely like nailed it. Yeah. It's like, it's not a date per se. It's just like, yeah, the time of year, the experience being down there Being, yeah, it is is a little bit of a deja vu type of very unique experience too. Um, Like how they say smells and music and certain things that are really strong memory markers, like a time of year tradition lands there too. Um, But transitioning to our topic today, which is about health. Um, And this kind of came to be because not with... um, every situation of someone passing away, sometimes it is like sudden or a freak accident. But in a lot of people's experiences, people pass away from an illness of some kind. And in both Kathy and I's perspective and experience, both of our parents passed away from cancer specifically. And but this, this train of thought applies for anyone who has lost a loved one or is currently dealing with a loved one who has some kind of chronic illness, terminal illness, that type of thing, um, where watching a loved one get sick and know that they have a life-threatening disease, in my opinion, it changes your perspective on health. And healthiness, and how you view being healthy, how much value you put in health. Um, health can be one of those things running in the background, like you don't appreciate it because it's your. If you're lucky and don't have any issues, it's your kind of standard, and you haven't until you really don't. And I've definitely found not not even since my mom passed away, but since my mom was diagnosed with cancer, which was 12 years before she passed away. It's gradually and over that time completely changed my view of my own health and things that I think about. Um, And I brought this up to Kathy and she kind of resonated with this kind of mental reframe and perspective. So we have a lot of kind of angles of that we're going to get into. But Kath, when I first brought up the topic to you, you made the joke in the group message, like, oh, I'm a hypochondriac. Like, maybe there's something there. I want to dig into that. Like, what was your first reaction when I brought up this topic?
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is that I think so. And I mean, and, and this is kind of more, I think this is a little bit heavier because we're talking about like our parents' illnesses, and that just brings back a lot, um, like finding out and. Dealing with that day, like, that starts flashing back to me and then just, like, everything there forward and witnessing everything that happened after that. Um, But I just – I think the first thing that came up to me or that came to me was the fact that, like, the way that my dad – found out about cancer is like, he was going in, he was like having a toothache in his mouth and went to like the dentist. And then they were like, oh, you need to get like checked out because there's something else going on in here. Um, And then went to the doctor and it was just like, how did a toothache like turn into throat cancer all of a sudden? And so for me, I think that that's why I'm such a like, hypochondriac because I think every little thing could be something way worse. And because I experienced that, like I, I saw that happen. And so I am always like concerned about any little thing and I'm the type of person that Googles it, you know, WebMD, catastroph- I'm going to die from literally a tingle a in my cut. ankle. Like, yeah, like it's not going to be good. So I really have to calm myself down a lot. Um, and not go on WebMD and look for other accredited sources if I am going to go down that route, but also just talk to a doctor. Um, And yeah, so I think that that was like the first thing is just I'm so sensitive and to everything. And honestly, like even just beyond my dad's death, like I've had other family members pass from other severe things in my family and watching those as well, like a lot of those were sudden. And so I think again, it's just that really big anxiety about something suddenly just like happening to you, and also not like having any behaviors that caused that. So I, the common question every single time is, "Did he smoke?" Because that's usually uh, a trait of people with long, with um sorry throat cancer. And no, he didn't, and so it was like a freak accident. And that question was always like annoying because it was like you're insinuating. he He did this to
0: himself and he did. Yeah. And yeah. And
1: like, maybe it is a question because you're just curious of like, was he the anomaly or was he just the same like case as all as main like throat cancer patients. And so that, that I feel like I also dealt with a lot too. And I had a lot of anger when people would ask that. Um, But yeah, that's kind of like my first related thoughts around health. And I have so much more, but curious. What are the first things that kind of come up for you?
0: Oh, yeah. Wow. So much that I relate to there too. Um, My mom was like perfectly healthy, energetic, normal. And one day it was actually around Valentine's Day, like you said, when it brings up just like the moment it happened and the moment you knew. And she had extreme pain coming from her stomach And she went to like a doctor's on duty and they thought it was a kidney stone and they're like, see if you pass it. But if like by Monday you still are in pain, like go to the emergency room. And then they found an extremely large tumor that was in her kidney, just like out out of nowhere. So I completely relate to the like things can change and just feeling really paranoid and like a little borderline obsessive of things in my control that I feel like can make me feel healthy, though I know there's not necessarily or absolutely nothing proven at all of anything she did or didn't do that caused it, right? Like it was, and they would tell us, like it was a really rare form of cancer. And so, yeah, wow, where do I start? So yeah, I think of that too. And the whole like, no, she didn't like do anything to cause it nothing, you know, she lived a very normal life, which interesting, the only comparable thing with the like, oh, did he smoke? Is when I say my mom had cancer. Sometimes people just go, oh, was it breast cancer? Cause that's just like the most common thing women are associated with. And I always think that's so weird a little bit to just like project a body part. And I'm like, no, it was kidney cancer. You know, I, I I think that's really interesting what people associate with cancers. I have something to say on that. I feel
1: like when people ask these questions, it's always having to do with like the fear I think that they have for uh, themselves or like their or their family members. Like they're trying to get to like, can this ever happen to me? Or like it was it so rare that I need to now like look out for this other thing in the world that exists that could happen to a woman? Or is it like the common thing that I'm already on the lookout for and I know about?
0: Like I think people are just trying to get more information for themselves because it triggers like a fear in them no I think I think that's super interesting and does make sense where yeah they're like taken aback that something so tragic and random can happen but cancer doesn't discriminate and so do all of these illnesses right like it, it can happen to anyone which is like you obviously don't want to live in fear and stress but like that that definitely comes up um I remember because, so obviously I'm still in year, I'm in a year and a half mode of processing with the fact that my mom has passed away. I lived 12 years of my life with knowing my mom had cancer. So that is an identity or like a part of my mental that I was a lot more used to, right? So talking about this, I'm like, I'm weirdly like, oh yeah, like I I navigated this in a completely different chapter where I remember my English class my freshman year of high school, there was this activity where our teacher put up like, you know, eight to 10 things on the whiteboard, right? Like family, religion, friends, health, money, you know, like high level big things and asked every student to rank their top three and go around and talk about it, right? And obviously all those things are important to people, but I think if my memory serves me correctly, I was one, the only one or one of two people in the class to put health first, because I had witnessed that like, if you don't have your health, like everything can be taken away from you. And it's like truly at its core, like you need your health for anything else to fall into place. And, you know, I was like, what, what are you 13? Like at that age, like processing that and. Even my understanding of of cancer, like, you know, when, and I think I've talked about this in maybe older episodes, but like my sister and I were young. We were 13 and 10 when she was diagnosed and my parents did an amazing job trying to protect us. And so the word cancer was not verbally used initially. It was tumor or sick. And I pieced together cancer by noticing what was written in the hospital wing. So like kind of like being shelter uh, we were sheltered by the severity of it, you know, there was a lot of like my understanding of what it was as a child versus my understanding of what it was as an adult and by you know like the the kind of rule was we wouldn't be there on surgery days we would come the day after like it was always like to kind of protect us, I think and by her final planned surgery when I was, In my early 20s, I was there for surgery day because I was like, no, like I'm an adult. Like I can help my dad. I can help my mom. I can be there. So it's like I had an evolving relationship like as I got older with it. And then the last thing I'll say and pause is I was also always very protective of not sharing with people my mom had cancer. Like she also had a unique situation, which was a blessing that unless you – Unless you knew, you wouldn't be able to tell by looking at her 98% of the time. So you could get away with it, right? Like obviously if she was post-op or like a couple of her treatments, you could tell a little bit. But if you didn't know, you wouldn't know is like the statement we'd always say. So I would not tell really close friends to me in college for years because I'm sure it's part of like I didn't want it to be true. And I don't, I didn't like the idea of people thinking of my mom as sick. I liked the idea of people thinking of her as healthy. So I'll stop there because you were obviously very young when this was all happening. So I wonder if you relate to like, you didn't really understand the severity of the illness. And as you've gotten older, you've had retrospectively a different understanding of kind of how that all played out.
1: There's actually so many similarities here. And then also like a very big difference of having my dad be so physically like you can tell and you know, and in every regard, um, it's, it's so interesting. And I know we haven't really ever like talked about this. Um, but I also was protected as a child. A lot of conversations were happening behind closed doors. So I do want to talk about that. Um, I was never told directly about it. Um I think that they were going to try to I mean there was a one point where they were going to have to because he was going to come home from the hospital and be a different person. So up until that point though, things were really vague. I found out on my own because I saw a pamphlet on the dining room table that said uh, like, diets for throat cancer patients. And I – At age what was this? This was probably – I was maybe 10 and a half. So, like, just imagine I have literally no idea what the word even means. And I have access to a computer and I start Googling all of this stuff. And it's, like, me going at through this journey alone. Like, no one – told me anything. And then, and I don't want to get into the details of like, what happened with my family after that or anything. But eventually, I was just sat down and finally told everything. Um, but it's interesting, I kind of wanted to talk about like, I also didn't go to the hospital at all. I think I went like once ever. And they also didn't, they really tried to keep me from seeing him in a bad state. But at some point, it was like, you're just keeping me from my dad. And that sucks. So a lot of my childhood, I felt a lot of resentment towards that protection. And I'm wondering if you felt any sort of way about it, either at the time or later on in life. I think as I've gotten older and an adult, I understand a lot now. And I can have an adult mindset of like, if I was Parent, what would I do in that situation and have more empathy towards my family? However, I still think I would have approached a couple of things differently. So I'm just curious, like, not how you would handle it, but how, what were your feelings around it at the time? Did they ever change? Did you feel like it was like the right
0: approach? Yeah, definitely a complex one. And I completely validate your feelings of frustration, right? Because in the beginning, it's like oh they're protecting you from seeing the scary stuff or like like it's almost as if separated and then at some point it becomes intertwined like you said it's like you're not hiding me from the cancer you're hiding me from my dad so at some point when that's in like an inevitable connection i understand you're and you're a literal child and you're you don't understand what it means and you're confused and so i i feel like i would feel the same if i had that same experience you did. Like that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I feel like I really didn't know what I didn't know. Like I really was in a bubble. I really didn't know either what cancer had meant. Like the only other more serious illness I was around was my grandpa who had passed away of Parkinson's. And I watched the progression of Parkinson's, you know, change him. And that's physical and mental. And obviously you can break down illnesses in both categories um, where... Sure, they're intertwined, but Parkinson's was one where it was it was really both, like, you know, the struggling of walking and the mental breakdown versus, you know, you watch someone have cancer in a movie, they lose all their hair, they're walking around with an IV, and they look really sick all the time. Um, I think it's for the best that my sister and I did not know the severity of my mom's initial surgery. I think I am glad I didn't know that. Because even hearing about it later still like, fuck. Like, that's terrifying. Um, so that is at 13 and 10, I do understand. Um, I think as, and and I know we're going to do more of a deep personal dive for everyone's stories. But the way it kind of played out was there were periods, right? She'd have her scans like every however often. And I think the longest she went in that time without, Finding anything in a scan was like three and a half years, four maybe, and you have to hit five years to be considered cured, as we all know in that world, and she never hit that. Um, But she would have stints where like, she'd have a scan, we'd all be stressed going into the scan, and then be like, great news, I'm clean. And then we'd have other news of like, okay, they found a spot here and here, but we have a plan of attack. And then... It would either be a surgery or a treatment. And she was otherwise like young, healthy, positive attitude. My dad like badass support system. So she would kind of bounce back from surgeries. And I just remember it's, – it's like a complicated question because I think as I started getting older, like I left college and I did start asking more questions of like, okay, I'm not a kid anymore. Like, I want to know, like, I want to know the severity of this. I want to know, you know, why this treatment over this treatment. I want to hear the breakdown of why we're doing a surgery over a pill or why we're trying out this thing over that thing. Like, And I remember having some more of those conversations often with my dad kind of towards, I would say, like 2019-ish. So I did reach a point, but I wouldn't look back and say, I wish they would have handled the earlier stuff differently. But also our cases were different in that it sounds like, you know, your dad's cancer advanced a lot quicker. So I think if that was the case, I would also feel differently. But because there were so many bouts of normalcy, I could suppress it and it would feel fine. So that's what's like kind of confusing for me to look back on.
1: That is really interesting and I like, I know this sounds always so twisted, but I'm just glad that we can share such different experiences for people to relate to because I'm so curious about the like, it feels like you went on an emotional roller coaster for 12 years of like, did you have hope that it would like completely go away and then your hope is killed like within a year or three years?
0: Yes. And that was, I always, always had these stress in the back of my mind because she would have all these surgeries. It's like, okay, we can remove the spleen. Separately, her appendix burst, they removed that first kidney. And I always had in my mind, I'm like, she's running out of organs she can't live without. So I always had the idea of like, she, it's going to hit an organ at some point. And the thing that I didn't understand until a lot later was in my head, yes, she was going to be cured eventually. Like you, you, she wasn't sick, like you'd be around her and you're like, she's not sick. She's fine. And then I think what I've learned is the type of cancer it was, it wasn't about curing it. It was about slowing it down and having options until science caught up. And it eventually, and it was also, quote unquote, lucky because the specific type of cancer was slow growing until it wasn't at the end. And so it was always, I think, a ticking time bomb that I think I'm happy I didn't fully understand that. I, I, you know, that I didn't really know that that was that. And, I've, you know, definitely had hopes a thousand percent that. This treatment will work. It'll be cured. Or maybe there's another five more years of a treatment and then maybe something will finally work and she'll be good. So that – and then, you know, as we both said, talking about the end is like a whole different story and one that's like much harder to get into. But there were talks about, you know, trials, right? And like the thought of like, could that be the Hail Mary? And then, you know, the later you go, the more you – kind of get hit with reality and like what how hard it is to get into trials and how low success rates are and that's a whole universe you just like obviously don't wish on your worst enemy to have to know or understand what that looks like i just try to take out of it that i'm really thankful i got bursts like a lot of solid bursts of healthiness or close to healthiness and you know she was so incredible of really protecting Kylie and I and like being strong for us like obviously I'll never know the extent of her stresses or her anxiety for 12 years behind closed doors with my dad that she would not ever share with my sister and I ever like she which is just like unbelievable amount of strength to be able to do that for your children and for your family because I think a lot of her Like her sisters and her friends also, I don't think ever really knew the severity of a lot of it because they wanted to keep it, they wanted to downplay it to people. They didn't want to scare people. And there is so much about when you have that illness of like your attitude and your positivity, it plays a role in like having that support system and that like everything you're focused on. So yeah, there's a lot of interesting psychology there. You know, thinking of what my mom was going through, thinking of what my dad was going through, thinking of how that relationship of will it be cured? Will it not be cured? Kind of living in fear always. And then your worst fear coming true. It was like I the gambit was hit. Um, And I, you know, time in hospital, I will say for a bit after hospitals were triggering, like because I. She wasn't at a hospital in the very, very end, but we were in hospitals, you know, for different surgeries and other things. And, like, I had to go for, like, a video shoot to a hospital and I, like, was – you know, like, it's not like I, like, couldn't do what my job, but I, like, didn't like being around a hospital. And I probably will feel that way in hospitals for a while that it just, like, reminds me of being sick. Um, I'm not sure – what of that hits or you can relate to or not relate to with the hospitals and with your relationship of, like, also thinking about what you were going through with the illness, but thinking about what your dad was going through with the illness and how, like, crushing and how fucked up it is to think about that.
1: Yeah. There's some really heavy moments in there um, that, as open as I am, are tough to tap into. Um, Completely but. Oh, um, thank you again for sharing, <laughs> but I think it the first thing that sh- struck out to me when you were talking about that is like, you can be so grateful to have all of these like extra years with your mom, but then you're going through the roller coaster for that much longer of that entire time. So you're like, it's so complex the way that you look at it versus my experiences I knew I knew that it was happening, and I have a limited time left. I didn't know how much, but I knew it was limited and it was just just like it's happening. like it it just is. And so it's like how do you there is no manual, as we always say, like to how to navigate that, or especially as a parent, what you're gonna do with your child to navigate that. There is no perfect way. I think it took a lot of me. Growing up and having that mentality, I think as a little kid, I thought I knew what was best for me. And of course, I thought I was smarter than, and older and more mature than I was and deserved to know so many things. And now looking back, I'm like, no, I, I didn't need to know a lot of things. Um, and that's fine. And the, But then there are some things that I'm like, I wish I did know a little bit more still to this day. Um, the hospital thing is very interesting. So when my dad got back from like, I think the worst visit that he had, he, and he, he was going to be in a wheelchair for a while, which is like cute because his body just became so weak and, um, from the chemo and everything, which is a really weird one. Cause you're like, he's not disa- Like he didn't hurt anything on his body that would prevent him to walk. It's because of like the intense treatment. Um, And so I think that that's just like a very weird one to wrap your head around, to go from seeing your parent standing and being fine to not only going through all of this, but also now he's in a chair and that's, and not from something like where he was physically handicapped. Um, Anyway, that day that he came back, it's it's tough, but all I'll say is that he didn't even want to see me because he didn't want me to see him in that state. And I think he was trying to protect himself more than me. Like a lot of this can be said of like, I don't want Kathy to see this. And a lot of my family thought that it would it was going to be really hard. I remember everyone that day. It was like It was like a moment for when I was allowed to walk through the door because everybody else was in there already. And so that was annoying because it felt like all the attention is then on me the moment I open the door. And it's like I'm going to be hit with this wave of emotion. And I just remember – You don't want a spotlight on you during that moment. And I just remember him not being able to turn around. Like his back was to me. And it was so, so tough because as a little girl – Like I said, like, I'm like, I just want to see my dad, regardless of the state that he's in. But that's when I knew how much pain he was in. Like emotional pain. Because I think he couldn't even get to the point where he could see me like that. Um, Obviously, eventually after that. We got to a point where we could see each other and we obviously like lived together and he was here um, during the rest of his illness at home. But I just remember that day was heartbreaking on so many levels. And at first I selfishly was like, that sucked, (laughs) like obviously. Um, But then as I got older, I had a better understanding. Again, I was 10 years old. I didn't know anything as I got older, I had a better understanding of like, why that was so hard for him. I think he really didn't ever want me to associate him like the way that he was. Um, That's something that I think is also really interesting is like, associating your parent with their illness. And especially for you, I'm curious, like, you so long, so much of your life, it's like almost half of your life was with her healthy, and then her not healthy even though she looked okay a lot of the times like do you ever wonder like if you should be like feelings around like you should be remembering her when she was healthy or that's just so long ago you only remember her when she was battling this because for me it was such a short amount of time I try to focus on the healthy side um, since that was longer but also I I was really young, so there's not a lot of those years for me to hold on to. And it's easier and more recent, even though it's still a
0: long time ago, to remember the, the illness. Totally. And thank you very much for sharing. Obviously, that's a really fucking heartbreaking moment for everyone involved and registering what's going on in his mind and your childhood brain and everything. So, thank you for sharing. I know that's not easy and those are some of the most vulnerable painful memories we all still have and anyone who's been through something similar I think can resonate with that and um you know people who are the ones to go through these illnesses and like the psychological warfare that must just go on whether you're married or married with kids. I just cannot even fathom. So with your question, I think it's interesting because I resonate with that a bit more with my grandpa because there was a really stark difference of when he was healthy mentally with it and fully independently mobile to when he was not. And it is harder to remember him fully healthy because he passed away when I was 18. And the last handful of years. So we're I'm, I'm digging deeper into the memory bank to remember him. And I remember it just being really important to me to like really keep pictures around where he looks fully healthy and like himself. And that, you know, how photos and looking back on your camera roll on your phone can shape your memory so much that like I was really trying to ingest those healthy pictures, healthy memories. You know, we have some home videos and like him health and just like, almost try to rebrand my memory to like kind of wipe away the more unhealthy times. Not to say we never had sweet or touching or lovely memories like, but it's just like wanting to remember him and his spirit healthy and ask questions of like my aunt and uncles and parents to capture that. With my mom, I, I, blend it together. It is not as like a stark division in my brain like it was with my grandpa. Whether it was a combination of like, because she didn't act sick, because she didn't look sick all the time, because her energy and her personality was mostly still the same, because our lives overall didn't change that much. And I would go down in dips, but I don't look back over those 12 years as like, oh, like I don't really want to remember her that way. Like I would say the last two months of her life, I feel that way where I would happily wipe a lot of those memories from my psyche for forever, even the final month, if I really was narrowing into it. And I think you touched on with like the wheelchair visual. It's just psychologically, we are trained to look at our parents as like our protectors, as these people who take care of us, as these people who are these strong forces. And especially as we're kids who are like, you know, the main flagpoles of our lives and aren't going anywhere. And I remember having the first time I saw my mom in a hospital bed and I'm like looking down to her and she's in a hospital bed and a hospital gown connected to things. And that was the first image of like this shouldn't be that way. Like you should be taking care of me when I have my cold and I, you're just giving me like soup and that's the dynamic. It's not the dynamic when like I'm looking to you and like getting used to that dynamic and having to like, I, I empathize with anyone who's seen their parents sick in that way because it really does mess with you mentally. Um, but yeah, interestingly, no one's ever asked that question and slash I've never thought of it that way. But even though there are total blips – of harder times. I don't look at that entire 12 years as like a before and after from like a memory perspective, but I very much feel that way with like my grandpa and the Parkinson's and the stark physical. Um, One thing I wanted to ask you because I felt this way is I, like I alluded to, I'm pretty diligent with like organic produce and having an air purifier. And I've always drank lots of water and kind of keeping up with health and wellness podcasts and trying to read different sources and hear the ways about being healthy. Even things are like quirky or kind of more natural medicine. Like I don't discriminate. I don't not believe in like mainstream medicine. I just kind of am like, interested because i think i have this deep rooted thing that if there's any line of research or reasoning that i can do anything that keeps me healthy i am so drawn to doing it because i feel like i'm in control of it and i'm like anything in my fucking power to stay healthy i'm going to do like i'm not just looking at it as like oh like i'm on a diet i've like over time that has just grown in me over as i've gotten older and like my friends can attest i'm like Oftentimes the annoying restaurant order modifier, like because I have in my head this idea of what I think is healthy and a lot of it is driven by wanting – I wasn't able to control what happened to my mom, so I'm going to try to control what's happening to me. And things happen to me older, so it may be stuck in my brain in a different way, but I'm curious if you have any of those – not just the hypochondria, but like things you try to control – or things, like, ways that you maintain your own health or think of your own health? Well,
1: I have to say, I order a lot of fast food, so I definitely <laughs> don't fall on this train of preventing any sort of, like, uh, issues when it comes to, like, diet or anything like that. I have gotten better. I've gotten better, but... Um, I'm a Becca, and for those that don't know that, uh, what that yeah, reference is and i more of a Tanya. Yes, it, that's exactly <laughs> what I was just thinking of. Um, I don't find ways to, like, eat clean and do all these things. Um, me, uh, like, outside of my dad's illness, I think just in general of, like, a healthy living lifestyle, like, those would be reasons why I wouldn't be, I think, connected towards my dad. Um, and I feel like that's more on the physical Um, health side. I think I'm a bigger, like you're preventing, you're big on like prevention or like you're doing healthy habits so that you don't get to that, those points. Whereas I'm a reactor of like, if something happens, then I start to kick drive of like all of these things, like what should I be doing or changing? Or like if there is something like that I need to adjust. Um, So I could be better at that. But I think that my priority lies mainly on the mental health, spectrum and being very aware of that. Um, I think like it would be to no one's surprise that obviously our trauma or um, my, sorry, I should say my trauma is probably the biggest contributing factor to me dealing with anxiety and depression. And I actually wanted to talk about the hospitals thing because I also get triggered a lot by the, by hospitals and, I remember so vividly my uncle, and I'm not sure if I've shared this before, my uncle, um, it was my dad's sister's husband. So like uncle by marriage. Um, But he was like father figure to me, especially after my dad passed. He was like, if I could adopt you, I would. And was just the best. Um, He got, needed a lung transplant and basically things went wrong and he passed. But we we were able to say goodbye to him. And at this point, I was in high school. And so I did. And I went to the hospital. And on my drive back from saying goodbye to him, I was in the car with my mom. I got my first ever panic attack. And um, like I went to the doctor and she was like, textbook, you had a panic attack. like, And your first one, for those that have never had one, it feels everyone says like they think they're having a heart attack. And that's what I thought I was having. And I was like, freaking out asking my mom to like, we were on the freeway to pull over like, I was gonna I thought I was literally thought I was gonna die. Like it was so scary. And thankfully, my mom knew exactly what was happening. Because I think like she had experience in herself. And she was like, you're fine. Then you're not going to die of a heart attack. You're having a panic attack, like in her head. But you didn't do that to me in person, which I'm glad. Um, We got water, we calmed down. But that was the beginning of my mental health kind of journey. Um And so I think because of that, I've been very aware. And now looking back, and when I talk about that in therapy or to doctors, it's so very clear why that happened. Like I was completely triggered that I was losing a male figure again in my life. And this time I got to say goodbye before and just so many other things. And so then, and because it happened at a hospital, that hospital or hospitals became a trigger for me after that. So it's very interesting how other, like this other experience that wasn't my dad's passing But obviously, it has connections to was like the start of my mental health. But I think it just brought out the things that were probably there. And it's weird to also think about at a young age, because and I've read so much about this. But when you're young, your brain is still developing. And so I think I've read like, like, if you like trauma completely changes what's going like, what's going on in your brain. So my brain is forever changed from the trauma at the same time that it's still developing. And so I'm learning all of these different like reactions and behaviors, especially because of this experience. And like, that's how I'm learning how to behave in the real world. Like had this not happened to me, I would have, my brain would have learned differently. Right. So I just think that that's super interesting of like, I have a special and it's nice It sounds weird. It's nice to know that there's science behind it. And it's kind of comforting for me to know that when I read things like that, like that's really helpful for me to understand the science makes me feel like there's a reason why I'm like this or like I have these things. It's so clear. Not to say that other people don't have as direct or clear experiences and can still for sure struggle with mental health issues. I don't want to deny that. Um, and I don't want to sound like, oh, but I can pinpoint where mine is. It's just been helpful for me to fully grasp it. Um, and then because of that, is so important to continue to take care of. Um, yeah. I don't know if you have any feelings around mental health and all of that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, one, I'm just glad you brought up mental health because we didn't even hit that directly on the head. And if we're having a whole episode about how grief makes you rethink your health, mental health is a freaking massive pillar of that so I'm just glad you brought it up and also I think so so interesting the whole childhood brain being in development and like as you're growing and as the brain is literally creating the wires that are gonna like run your brain for life you're having I'm sure like you said like there was a baseline of trauma simmering from your dad. And then it was like a volcano erupted when your uncle passed. And then you having a panic attack at a young age. And then just like pinpointing that as like when the, like the big mental health journey began. I mean, grief is like, and I've tried to read into this too, it is like a psychological fact. It has psychological scientific changes in your brain chemistry and like multiply that by a million when you're a child and it's still developing. Um, And obviously like, you know, there are the books out there like the body keeps score and ways you store things in your body and having all of the, it's like grief is its own like top of the pyramid and like the things that come out of it are anxiety, depression, PTSD, like all of the textbook mental psychological problems people deal with can stem from grief or be exacerbated by grief. So it's a very important thing that of course we promote. I think everyone on this planet would benefit from therapy. I don't think there's any exceptions However, all of our lovely listeners who have gone through grief, I think especially should take care of their mental health, knowing you are more vulnerable to going down any of those paths. And maybe you are already predisposed. Like sometimes people are predisposed to one or the other. Sometimes people are predisposed to all of it. Um, That that's a very important pillar of health that I'm so thankful you brought up because that is a really big one. And I also just quickly want to circle back to the like, oh, I try to be really health conscious, like, on the surface level, that maybe sounds good. But I also just don't want to make it seem like, Ugh, like, I eat healthy. Like, I think there's probably some like, anxieties and not right, like, I'm anxious about that. Like, I think about food, I think about ingredients, I think about, and it is all tied to, And and let me be clear, I don't think the way my mom ate, like, created her cancer. I, I've like separated those two things, right? I'm looking at like current studies, science information of anything that could cause health issues, could cause inflammation, could cause cancer. And I am taking that in and trying to just be, like you said, proactive and in control myself. Um, so yes, I think mental health and like right after a loss, like You almost wish and you just hate the American health insurance system that it was like a covered service that like if you've lost a loved one, you are guaranteed like three covered months of therapy. I mean, you need more than that, but like like there's maternity leave and paternity leave after having a child like you almost wish there was like a given because bereavement leave. That's a whole other episode that's like non-existent in this country and like let alone like support to do it because it's like again grief is its own mental thing to work through but it really opens up so many other mental health things that like I'm so glad you have been so proactive about it your whole life and like so proud of you that you have because that couldn't have been easy and that you educated and like figured out and it brought you comfort that you kind of understood the root of where it came from so then you didn't feel like I'm crazy or like, why is this happening? Like we always like to ask why to things and knowing why there is comfort in that. Um, And just staying really diligent. Or if you do find out you're predisposed for something and being diligent and whatever that means to take care. um, I, it had been weighing in my head, like knowing my mom's cancer was so rare. Um, And I remember talking to like my primary care doctor about, you know, what genetic testing looks like and if that's something I should do. And they were able to recommend me to like a, you know, UCSF's like genetic cancer screening, you know, pretty top of the line facility. And I remember being so scared to do that and really like intimidated by that because it comes down to, like you said, my obsession with like preventative. I was like, do I want to know? And do I want to know knowing I could have nothing I can do about it or maybe I could do something about it? And that's a very personal decision that everyone gets to make for themselves and no decision is a wrong decision. And I just decided in my head knowledge was power and also just being predisposed on a gene doesn't mean like a death sentence or that you have it. Like I heard somebody explain genes like, It's like the 88 keys on a piano. You could have a tantrum two-year-old playing it or you can have like a, you know, world-renowned pianist playing it. It's like there are other factors that activate them in different ways. So it wasn't like you for sure have this. Like um, I will say for anybody who's watched The Bold Type – The show, The Bold Type, one of the main characters, because her mom passed away of breast cancer, they have a whole episode line of her getting tested for like the BRCA gene and doing it and deciding to like have a procedure because of it. So honestly, shout out to that show for kind of like publicizing that storyline because it gave access to that idea and made it feel a little more normalized. So I'm comfortable sharing that there was nothing that came back from my genetic testing that was directly linked to anything cancerous. And that's, you know, not to say I can just live life scotch-free, but it was a nice little peace of mind. Um, But I would say the process was heavy and I didn't share it with a lot of people. I would say that's very personal, um, fascinating. And there is this thing where they say that they can like retest your genes every 10 years or so because they're constantly discovering new genes so they can like update it to like the most up-to-date information which is kind of interesting and um, I mean I guess when you're when a time comes to want to have kids like that information could be helpful to know like what you can pass down or not or like what blends with your partners because there's some that it's like right dominant and recessive and if you both have it you know that's a whole other discussion. We're going down a lot of deep pathways today, but I think important stuff. And the reason I want to share it is just in case anyone else has thought about it or has considered it, or it's something they've been through too. Like it's certainly nothing that really gets talked about. And again, I'm not like saying a thousand percent you should do this or a thousand percent you shouldn't do it. I'm just sharing my experience and how I experienced it. Well, first of all, so grateful
1: that there weren't any big major flags or anything that came up. And also I'm grateful for you sharing that too, because I know that that's a super hard thing to do. And I think it all well said of what you um, said about it's everyone's decision and there is no right or wrong path to take when it comes to that. Um, I actually had a friend who uh, watched The Bold Type episode and was like I am so thankful for this because it's like similar I guess she was just dealing with some of the same things and not necessarily it was the same exact path that she took but she was just very felt very seen and like you said kind of like it gave light onto something and normalized it more and I think that there should be more of those types of moments um, that portray the more like realness behind it and the feelings around it um, just so that people feel seen and heard. Um, I know that that it's helpful. It's actually really helpful for people. So I think you sharing your story is also really helpful for people and maybe it even motivates somebody to go and get tested. And I mean, there's so much that can come out of that, but yeah, I commend you for that. And that's something that I, uh I've only done like the 23andMe like health testing stuff which is like first of all first of all I like cilantro and it says that I don't (laughs) like cilantro so I'm like so we don't always believe everything yeah so I'm like (laughs) how like trustworthy is this and not that I was thought that it was gonna be like a credible kind of test or anything but there were some things on there that I was like this isn't right. like, so, I don't know about this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that was almost my, like, ease into trying something. Mm-hmm. Dipping the toe in the water. Right. And so I do want to do that. I'm the type of person as well that I would feel like knowledge is power. And if there's something I can do to prevent it, I would like to take action to do so. Um, the not knowing freaks me out way more, just personally. Um, so... But even with that being said, I still am taking steps to get to a place where I'm comfortable going and getting tested and having all of that done. So um, I am hopeful that it's something that I can do in the future. But yeah, I think I'll just have to take like baby steps mentally and um, to get to that point where I feel like comfortable doing it.
0: Yeah, that's definitely not a band aid rip off. That's something that you like build up to, and you're thinking about for a while, and you really weigh pros and cons. And I felt very lucky. I was given some like um, I think geneticists, like whoever I was working with, was amazing. She was like a young female, didn't feel that much older than me, and she had amazing EQ. Um, I will acknowledge at, at the time I did it, I had very good insurance. So like, it wasn't a massive, massive cost expenditure. But I just want to acknowledge that that I know that that is a privilege to have access to that kind of thing to get that information, because I can only imagine without insurance. And honestly, we didn't even hit on that. Like with health, which could be a whole other topic, but I'll say like two sentences on it to not let it go is that my dad, through his work, had really amazing insurance, and I can't even say out loud the amount of money treatments and surgery would have cost if we didn't have insurance. Like, And it's just so makes my blood boil that if you don't happen to have a certain level of insurance, an illness that you did nothing to deserve can bankrupt you on top of dealing with horrible illnesses. So again, you want to rile me up. Talking about the American healthcare insurance universe really will do that. So, just want to acknowledge that too. That that's an added stress. That's an added drain. That's something that family members who survive their loved ones probably have to to deal with or can weigh on them. You know, on top of everything else they're going through, and it's something that needs to be systemically societally fixed but something that like mentally is just so fucked up that you have to weigh or deal with or like let it impact a decision like do I go for my house or a surgery like that's a horrible decision people are sometimes put in so obviously money is very private but just want to acknowledge that for anyone listening who has the financial stress on top of everything else and just how shitty that is and how much we love you and commend you for enduring that. I completely agree with everything you just said.
1: And I can't imagine those decisions that you have to weigh in order to save someone's life that you have to take away and sacrifice so many other things that you would want. So... I agree. Fucked up. (laughs) Um, And it sucks. And honestly, like, we could do a whole episode
0: on what the fuck is the cost of dying
1: in America.
0: That is a whole episode. (laughs) Oh, my God. It is so fucked up and insane of all of the expenses that come from dying and having a funeral. Yeah. It was like a small wedding. Like, that is insane. And then just, oh we'll save it for another episode. We'll throw Mads in there too, but just the costs and money associated with it is madness. But I do feel like we covered a lot of ground with health. We both tapped into some things we haven't shared. There is something heavier there, but is important to talk about and can be, is, is intertwined with grief, right? The last thing I'll say, right, you're grieving sometimes somebody's health before they fully pass. And like, there's that transition that is not necessarily talked about, but is really important to acknowledge too. Um, And yeah, just Uh, Every time we have some of these heavier, deeper conversations, I'm always like, ah, did we stress people out? Did we leave people (laughs) like more sad and stressed and they came in? But the hope is that other people have gone through this too or resonate with this too. And while it's not the happiest and jolliest, like you're not going to listen to this episode to pregame going out. That's not (laughs) the vibe. You are listening on a walk or having coffee or you're in your feels and you're going through something and you want to feel like someone else has gone through it too. Um, we'll maybe include some warnings in this one because we hit a lot. So if you're here with us still, we love you. Thank you for listening. And we hope that while this was a heavier one, just if you've gone through anything like this, you're able to connect with it or it just makes you feel less alone, like the bold type or just seeing things like this out in the world, like made me feel, And even Kathy, like she and I, you and I haven't even really talked about this stuff and this layer. And just knowing that we do have a lot of similarities and experiences and feelings, just it's comforting to not feel as alone. So thank you for listening and maybe listen to like a comedy podcast for like five minutes to like cleanse yourself and your mood before re-entering your life or your day.
1: I mean, like you said, there are going to be episodes where we're a little bit heavier and we try to mix in the light where we can. But we do want to be able to share the gamut of all kind of feelings that come with grief. And this is a very real
0: one and I think relatable. So important. Um, Yeah. Yes, important. And I feel like we would be doing a disservice if we kept shying away from some of the deeper, heavier stuff and tried to keep it light. Hopefully we're not crushing anyone and you feel like you learned something or could connect with something. But Kathy, I appreciate you. Thank you for sharing. Um, everyone else. Thank you for listening. Please. If this episode does, did, did resonate with you or, you know, somebody who's going through something like this, please share the episode rate review, follow us, send us an email s- right in the Facebook group. If, disconnected or you have questions or things that ever come up, like the one of the main reasons we do this is to try to help others. And so always feel free to share your feedback. So thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you. I
1: appreciate you too. Thanks for sharing, Kels. And for everyone listening, see you next time. Bye.